Sometimes the fun begins when the paved road ends. Chevy Silverado 2500 HD is made to work hard and play hard on the road or off. Go to ChevyDriveChicago.com for details and experience life in HD. <clears throat> okay, ready to go, Reg? How you doing, sir? Good. Want to get just started? Let's just get right and get, get rolling here. All right. Levels are good. Keep them there. I'll give you the countdown. Or I'll give you three S's. I'll give you the countdown. I'll give you the music. Give you a podcast. 359 is, I believe, is our number today. 359. Wow. That's a lot of podcasts. <laughs> 500 is not far away, right? 150. What now? Jeez, only 100, almost 140. Almost there. Okay, here we go. Star, smile, strong. Three, two, one. Hey, it's Elton Jim Toronto, and this is Captain Podtastic. Yeah, see, that's too, yeah. I know, I know. We never know when the music's going to hit. But uh, hit it a little early. And as I, you can hear me dragging my voice out there. All right, ready? Three, two, one. Hey, it's Elton Jim Toronto, and this is Captain Podtastic. And welcome to another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast. There we are, just sitting on the corner, waiting for you to stroll over, waiting for you to click that little button on, and bingo, bango, there we are. And don't forget, just listening is never enough. You got to get out there and hit the streets. You got to ring doorbells. Electioneer, stand on corners, hand out flyers. Got to hit the streets and tell the world, tell your friends, and tell your family, and tell anybody who listens to a podcast that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podcasting, and it should be theirs too. Oh, all that effort, all that devotion. I feel it coming through the computer. If you like what you hear, don't forget to go to WGNRadio.com. You hit the prompt. And as I said, we're just sitting there waiting. There's 300 podcasts waiting for you. What am I talking about 300? How about 358 are in the books? Which means, welcome to 359. So, big day, big week, I should say, in the news. Do we sometimes realize we are a part of history, that we are experiencing something historical? Do we realize it? Does it, does it, does it influence us? Does it... Does it startle us? Do we do we fully comprehend that we are when when something happens 
that it will have historical significance and that people will be talking about it the same way that people who were alive when John F. Kennedy was assassinated or when Abraham Lincoln was assassinated or people that were around in 1776, the birth of the nation. There were people there. Did they understand the historical significance of the events that they were witness to in their lifetime? It's hard to tell because we we deal with things on a daily basis. In a today's world, we're inundated with so much information and content that is so easily accessed that we, I think, we tend to take a lot of things for granted. So I wonder how much really sinks in and 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 you know, has an asterisk next to it in our brains like this. This is important. I know you're inundated with who Harry Styles is going out with and the the Gwyneth Paltrow uh, uh, skiing trial and, uh, fi- you know, March Madness and the opening of baseball and, uh, you know, new TV shows on and... Uh, in Chicago here, we just had a new mayor elected, uh, a very surprising uh, result there, historic perhaps. I don't know. Can we fully appreciate in today's manic, chaotic, information overload world, can we really appreciate when something really important happens? Significant, historically significant. Does it register? Because everything today that we read is sensationalized. The world today is is based upon clicks, right? Clicks, everything with a click. You know, clickbait. You know what clickbait is? It's when you go online, you go to some kind of a news website and, you know, headlines. And I used to work in journalism. I used to write headlines for newspapers and magazines as an editor and managing editor. I used to do that. It was fun. I loved a little, little, just a little, um, little insight to the world of media in case you didn't know. Uh, Today, once again, I got a feeling we're going to be all over the board today, but it's. (laughs) I always enjoy those. I hope you do, because there's a lot of them. <laughs> I'll get to what I'm talking about, but I always like making a few detours. So, uh, if you don't know, in the in the in the in the journalism world, you would think, right, that whoever writes the story, I mean, what do you do when you when you write something, anything that's going to be uh, you know, used or read by someone else in the, for the most part. When you were in school, for instance, and you were writing an essay about something, you started with the title, right? You titled it. I mean, think about it. We all have titles. We enter this world with a title. Our parents name us. That's our title. Now, some people have these royal titles or these significant uh, or earned titles, some have royal, queen, king, sir, 
some are earned, right? Doctor, uh, president, different position titles. Uh, but we all have a title. Our names are, are our title. Some get these little additional titles to their title, but in reality, our names are our title. And our parents made us, right? So they get to title us. <laughs> so it's, you would think it's very similar if you were, say, writing a story, and if you never have printed any, got anything published or whatever, this is what I'm giving you a little insight. But what you, we've all written something in our lives. Even in grammar school, we wrote an, an essay. Or if you remember in, uh, in the movie uh, Christmas Story, you will write a theme. Remember the teacher gave them a theme. And of course, the theme in the film was what I want for Christmas, right? But that's the title, what I want for Christmas. And then if you give the reader... Um, a a little introduction or insight as to what I'm going to be reading about. You don't give you don't give away the store, but it's a teaser. It's there to attract your attention, to engage you, to catch your eye, grab your interest, and that headline should be enough that you want to say. Then, well, let me that title or headline should be. Well, let me see what is this about and gets you to read it. Well, that's. That's always been the case with every, since the beginning of printed material and newspapers. There's always been huge headlines. And obviously, uh, you know, world war, you know, war ends, big exclamation point, right? Anything to grab your attention to make you buy the magazine or buy the newspaper and read the story. Sensational headlines, clever headlines, headlines with puns, or just informational headlines. New president elected. Oh, well, let me see that. Like I said, for instance, you know, new mayor elected in Chicago. I, I don't, you don't, you don't need anything more. That should be interesting enough if you weren't aware or you'd like to know who won to start reading the story. So you would think it makes sense. Once again, in your own experience, when you sat down to write a theme or write an essay in school, you had a title of it, and then you wrote it. But most likely, it was your title. You thought of the title. And then you wrote the story. But in the publishing world, for the most part, that is not the case. The writer of the story does not write the headline. And you would think that that really doesn't make sense, right? I mean, here's what the story's about. If the person wrote 1,500 words or... 2,000 words or 500 words, whatever it is, if you think if the person wrote in detail with facts about this story, they certainly should be able to title it. They, certain sh they certainly should know what the title of this is. They wrote in detail about the story. So why wouldn't they write the title? Why wouldn't they write the headline? But they don't. Like I said, today... 
you know, clickbait, everybody views, views, views. How many clicks? How many likes? How many views? How often have you uh, gone on to any kind of a information news uh, website, uh, website and read the headline and went, hmm, and then you click on it and you start reading it and the headline didn't really match the content of the story. The headline was much more interesting and much more perhaps salacious and much more intriguing or maybe even informative or it raised a question in your mind to find out what the answer would be in the story. And then when you read the story, it really failed to live up to what was promised by the headline. That happens quite a bit in these in this world today. It didn't happen as much when we were a print-based media. Now, we've always heard about the sensationalistic headlines, the salacious headlines that made things sound much more exciting and uh, you know exclamation points all over the place steamy uh and it doesn't have to be sexual it just be uh you know with with real you know impactful in you know action ver you know action words verbs or adjectives that grab your attention and make you want to read or find out many of the tabloid magazines and newspapers like the National Enquirer and things like that. You know, three-headed baby discovered and things like this. You know, dog boy. <laughs> uh, that's been going on forever. Dating back to the early days of print, and I don't know how many people even are aware of anymore of, of, a, of a... It started as a, as a newspaper feature, little feature in the newspaper, a lot of times near the comics or something. Uh, in the early days, not even in the comics. It was dispersed within the regular news sections. Ripley's Believe It or Not. Did you ever hear of that? Ripley's Believe It or Not. It started as a newspaper feature with strange and interesting facts that were compiled and put into this little feature and became so popular it 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 gave birth to a whole cottage industry of museums you can go to see you know and and, and different attractions and exhibits around the country either traveling exhibits or stationary museums you would go there was I know there was one here in Chicago there's a Ripley's believe it or not museum I don't I doubt if it's there, still there anymore because in today's world, real life is <laughs> whatever Ripley found. And some of this stuff was uh, a little unbelievable. Perhaps some of it was made up. <laughs> Believe it or not, right? That's how Ripley got around that. Believe it or not. <laughs> but it was always, you know, these eight foot, nine foot people or... As I said before, you know, uh, little boys or kids or adults that it was always some oddities and strange things. But we love that stuff. And that's what grabs our attention. So headlines have always been 
there to attract the attention of the reader to read the story. And especially today, as I said, I, I know I've gotten burned many times uh, in, the, in this clickbait world of uh, seeing this headline on a story and then getting into the story. And the story sometimes has nothing to even do with the headline or very vague in terms of what the headline promised, what the story delivered. But as I said, uh, the interesting part of the publishing world is the writer in most cases does not write the headline. There are headline writers Many times they are the same as the editors. When you, when you turn in a story for, uh, for a magazine or a newspaper, there are, hopefully today there are, I don't know anymore. <laughs> when I worked in the newspaper and the magazine world, there were was, there was several layers of editors who read stories. There was people that assigned them. Those were assigning editors or managing editors who would assign the stories. And then there were editors who would receive the stories and go through them. There's fact checkers who, who check facts. When a, when, a, when a writer makes a statement of fact, there's 58% of this or whatever. You, know, you can't just throw around numbers. And you know reporters don't do this on purpose. They don't get facts wrong on purpose, but sometimes... Things fall through the cracks. Nobody's perfect. And that's why in the old world of publishing, there was many checks and balances. Many sets of eyes looked at a story before it went to the public. So the grammar was correct. The story was clear in the way it was written. If you've ever watched, I've said many times, I think it's imperative for anybody the general public as well as any aspiring journalists to see the film All the President's Men because it's more about journalism than it is about Watergate. It's the story of how Woodward and Bernstein doggedly worked on the Watergate story and got the facts and broke the story and uncovered the cover-up, which ultimately led to the resignation the first time of, our, of, a, of a president. Which brings me back to my first question. In August of 1974, did people realize they were seeing something historic? Richard Nixon... Resign the presidency. No president in our history had done that. Almost 200 years. In the 200, at that point, almost the country was almost 200 years old, and not one president had resigned for any reason. Some died in office, some were assassinated. They didn't finish their terms, but nobody resigned. But Richard Nixon did in 1974 in August. And yet, did people at the time, were they processing it? I was a little kid. I remember it. I watched it live on television 
when he made the announcement. I remember it. I was a little too young to really uh, fully understand or comprehend the the historical significance of it. But let's take something in our lifetime for the most part. I, I realize there's some people now that were not around when 9-11 happened, as crazy as that may seem to us all. It doesn't seem like it was that long ago, but let's be honest. If you're 18 years old, you were not born when 9-11 happened, right? That's, that is history to you. That's not experience to you. That's history. Did were we were we so uh, I guess the what's the word here? Were we were we so captured by the moment, by the sorrow and the anger and the frustration, whatever emotion nine eleven uh brought out in you, were you consumed, there's the word, were you consumed so much by the emotions of that event that did you were your, was your mind able to fully process and in many some kind of ways compart uh, you know put into you know compartment compartment I don't I don't I want to say it wrong so I won't even say it <laughs> thinking out loud here could your brain split the, the split in thinking how's that a little clunkier, um, from the the realities of the moment to the historical significance of the event at that time. Did we really understand what 9-11 would be? I think to some extent we did. It was such a horrific event. I think that we understood the historical aspect just as if, just as, and I was born, but very, I mean, I, I remember it, but vaguely, um, you know, the first, you know, you know the, the landing on the moon. There's no question people grasped the, as much as there was an excitement of the moment, I think also people at that time grasped the historical significance of it. But, um, but as I said, the, 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 the person who writes the story to get your attention necessarily doesn't write the headline. Now, the writer, I mean, I, I, I still write stories for some publications. You can, I, I still title my stories. I still, I, I offer a title, a possibility, and try to come up with something clever and, and, and th- that will grab a re- the reader's attention that flows well, that that is not a ton of words because you want boom, boom, boom. You know, headlines are meant to be glanced at. You don't want a big, long, multi-word headline. Sometimes one word, if it's the right word, is an effective headline. One word can encapsulize and send a clear message as to what the story is about, if it's well-chosen. Or two or three words, well-chosen. It's always good to have some alliteration, words that start with the same letter, have the same sound. But just as a little side note, 
the people that write the story don't necessarily write the headline. So a lot of times people say, oh, well, you wrote this story, and they remember the headline. Oh, you wrote this sensationalized story that said blah, 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 blah. And then the writer says, you know, they're, 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 they, you know, because their name's underneath it. Remember, there's the blaring headline, and then right underneath it, it says, by blank. The general public has every reason to believe that the writer wrote that headline. So if they have a problem with the story, they could blame the reporter for the headline. And then the, then the reporter has to decide whether to um, talk about, well, I didn't write the headline, and get into that whole discussion, or just, you know, just nod. <laughs> but that's the case. So that's just a little, little journalism uh, fact you may not know. But my, my, main, my main question is, do we realize when an event happens that we are witness to something historical, that, some, that this people will be talking about 50 years from now or 100 years from now or 200 years from now or 500 years from now. I don't know how much we really make the designation, acknowledge the historical aspect. And today, of course, everything is elevated in its meaning. We have a very high <laughs> you know, image of ourselves, so we think everything that happens today is the most important thing. So everything has an exclamation point. Everything's important. You hear the word. Think about how many times, and, and if you don't, notice it. I'm going to plant the seed in your head now, and I want you to start to, to listen for it and just make a mental note. And I guarantee you, you will go, wow. We are in such a self-important uh, time now Everything that happens, historic, I'll give you that one. Everybody uses it. But, you know, oh, this was an historic event today. But it's overused. But listen to how many times you hear historic. But that one's not even one of the, the real buzzwords. But you just keep your ear open now for the word historic. How many times you read it or how many times you hear it said on television, especially during on the news, about an event. Everything's historic now which has devalued the word and devalued the experience, which is why I'm saying I wonder if we are even able to assess the real historic value of something because in today's world, everything is historic because our whole we are so important. But historic certainly is out there, so listen for that one, but... Uh, how many times have you heard the word iconic? Iconic. Which is another word that connotes a important and unique and un you know and uh you know historic if you will event. Something that 
that uh, is 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 important and and unique and uh, worthy of being respected and remembered the word is is has has been bastardized quite a bit actually uh in its uh, in its original definition but you know famous uh, you know something that is uh uh remembered but that's really not what the word iconic means. An icon ultimately was, you know, rep was a was something that was a symbol of something that should be respected and venerated, if you will. Uh, and then it's taken on other meanings. Now we're hearing, oh, you are an icon. Every every today, every sports athlete, every actor, every actress, every music, the you know, if they if they've been around for you know twenty or thirty years, they are icons. The word is grossly overused and um, significantly uh, misused in terms of its true meaning. But it's taken on a new meaning. It doesn't really matter what the word means. When the society, you know, in its origins, when, when the society redefines it, it becomes that meaning. But listen for the word iconic or icon. You will hear it constantly now. Everybody is an icon. Everybody, it's been, it's, it's, it's being used now as another way to say legend, I believe. But really, the the true meaning of it does not mean legendary per se. It's more of a symbol of something to be respected or venerated, not the actual thing. But as I said, we're in a time now. And then the other word, which is, oh, my, my gosh, talk about overused. Overused, misused, uh, you, you name it, epic. Oh, listen to anybody, a young person especially. Everything's epic. You see it once. You, when you see something on a commercial, you know that is a buzzword that is being used by a younger generation because that's what the commercials are there to appeal to, and that's who they're speaking to. But all you hear is epic. People use the word epic constantly now. Epic. Everything's epic. Once again, uh, the way they're using it, not true to its real definition. But it doesn't matter because if enough people use it in a certain way in the lexicon of our language, it takes on that new meaning. So, yes, if you write the dictionary, you might... uh, you might have the original definition as the first one listed, but if people are using it in a different way, that's the way the word is going to be defined by most people. So listen, and there's many others, but I'm just thinking about this whole idea of of, of history and and uh, unique things that are 
worthy of our praise and, uh, and worthy of our attention. So in your common day conversations, watching television shows, talking to people, listening to people, can't help sometimes but they'll hear conversations of people when you're out and about, right? Listen for those three words on the news, on a TV show, out in a social situation. Historic, not so much. It, it, historic, but you, but you will hear the, hear the news people say that quite a bit. But epic and iconic. Oh. So that's what's kind of hard, I think, to differentiate between what is truly iconic and epic and historical and what isn't. Because in today's world, everything is historic and epic and iconic. I bring all this up. <laughs> I told you I'd get to my point. I, I bring this up because I think something historic, at the very least, did happen this week. And it was certainly uh, described that way everywhere. I don't think it's iconic. It could be epic. This one actually could be epic in the true definition of the word, a long, elaborate struggle. Epic is, is used in, in to, to describe today, to describe something that is, uh, you know, out of the ordinary. But that's really not what epic means in its true definition. If you look it up, it's heroic and historic. That's where it comes from. It comes from, from really being legendary or, uh, or, or heroic. So we're putting on, like, oh my gosh, I mean, I went out on this date and it was epic. <laughs> was it really? <laughs> but I said today we're, we, we over-exaggerate everything. But that's the, that's the definition. If you talk to somebody in their mid-20s and, and younger and you ask them what is epic, oh my God, it's just something that's just off, the, you know, just, it's the, it's the greatest thing. Well, not really. It's kind of, but it's not the true definition, but it doesn't matter. But I think something happened this week that is definitely historic. It could be epic in its scope. I don't think it's iconic. <laughs> but uh, there's no doubt you, you've read about the fact that uh, former President Trump was um, indicted, first president in our history, to ever be indicted of a criminal act. Just like I said, when, when, when Richard Nixon resigned, that was historic. No other president before that had ever resigned. First things, by their nature, become historic. Now, the level of their historic value can be debated. But usually when something doesn't happen before 
on a, on a large scale, it's given the historic tag. But as I said, in today's world, everything is considered historic. But this is one that I think we should, and then this is regardless of your politics, regardless of whether you love Donald Trump or you hate Donald Trump. I don't know, any, I don't know anybody who's in the middle on Donald Trump. I might say that I'm actually in the middle on Donald Trump. I don't hate the guy outright. I don't love the guy. I'm, I'm intrigued by him. I see his faults. And I also see interesting aspects about him. But I think this was this, him being indicted, whether it, you know, once again, politics aside, law aside, in terms of is this a flimsy case and all the other things about that, that aside, we are right now. So take a note of this. You, uh, you know, if you, if you, if you ever need to, you know, store these things back in those files in your brain, because before you know it, it's going to be 10 years from now. And, and it's going to, you're going to read about it. And, well, you know, when Donald Trump was, and you can say, yeah, I remember that day. I remember watching that on the news. Because that will, that's a part of history now. Anything to do with the president of the United States is history. As I said, Richard Nixon, 50 years ago, next year, first president ever to retire. And I guarantee you, in August of 2024, you will see stories on the news, in the newspaper or whatever, about the 50th anniversary of Richard Nixon resigning. Just that simple. So in 50 years from now, you will be able to say, yes, I remember that. People, as I said before, remember where they were when, when the, the, the first moon landing. So this is historic. What the significance of it is, that's yet to be determined. But the indictment came down. No president has ever been indicted. Whether this case gets thrown out or not, that's, we'll, we'll see. But the fact of the matter is that the president was indicted. He was fingerprinted. He was processed. That's already done. That is in the books. And so that that is a part of history. So we have experienced a part of history. Now, I bring this up because in watching so many of the, uh, the political shows, leading up to this indictment, and they will continue. This will continue to be a hot topic until, until the trial or whatever happens, if the, if the case is, uh, is dismissed or thrown out, or if it does go to trial and what the verdict is. I mean, that's all to come. I believe the next time that this topic even will come up is in sometime in December. So the indictment was handed down, but this this is going to be dra- this is going to drag out for a long time. But uh, the one interesting aspect of what people are saying about this trial or potential trial is: Can Donald Trump get a fair trial in New York? Because 
he's such a big personality and has so many roots in New York. Doesn't live there really much anymore, but that's where he had his claim to fame, and he was there for, you know, since the mid-'80s he, when he became a media star. So it's been over 40 years. He's got a lot of enemies in New York because of his brash personality and style. And he's a controversial figure, especially now, having been president of the United States. And as I said before, there's there's really very few people that are in the middle on Donald Trump. They either love him or hate him. So the question is, can Donald Trump get a fair trial? And it's a valid question. And it'll be interesting to see if they change the venue and, and take it out of Manhattan at the very least. It has to stay in New York because it's been a, um, it's a New York... It's a New York indictment, so I will most likely stay in the state of New York. But there's been some question, should it move out of Manhattan? Should it move perhaps to one of the outer boroughs like Staten Island that doesn't have as much of a clear connection to Manhattan? Other boroughs that are right down the street, like Queens and and Brooklyn, um, you know, across the river from Manhattan, still might be viewed as... Uh, being a little biased, they were still in the in the aura of Donald Trump during his heydays and things like that, with all his extravagance. So maybe we have to find a place in New York State. Maybe it's somewhere out in the suburbs, or maybe it's in Staten Island or wherever. You know, which brought up another question because they said there, it would be very hard for pe- for for him to get a fair trial because people most likely in New York, have an opinion on Donald Trump, and that's how they will view any facts, even if, even if a jury is told to only decide on the facts, not on the personality of the people, not on, the, on their reputation, but simply on the facts of this case. We are all humans. We know how juries work. We've seen juries make some decisions that were completely in contradiction of the facts of the case, O.J. <laughs> so we know what goes in to a trial and a, and a jury, especially with a high-profile, controversial person. And so the question is, can Donald Trump get a fair trial? And it got me thinking... Because and I and this I think is valid because as, as I said my today you know everybody in 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 previous in, in decades before today once again in our TikTok YouTube Instagram Facebook world everybody is looking for attention everybody's looking for likes everybody's looking for clicks everybody's looking for it's not even fifteen minutes you know Andy Warhol made the famous statement that in the future everybody will have fifteen minutes of fame well today. Uh, the 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 fame uh time there uh, the 15 has been i think it's been greatly reduced it's about 5 minutes of fame now and but people still hunger for that 5 minutes of fame he was he was he was really a visionary on that i wish he would have lived long enough to have seen the internet andy warhol cuz he would have i mean he 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 just would have he would have been able to have the biggest i told you so uh, ever <laughs> 
because he 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 predicted that decades before the internet and what the internet ultimately brought us. But the question of you know what many people have been said, even legal people who have who don't have any skin in the game on Donald Trump, saying that you know it, it might be very hard for him to get a, a fair trial because in today's world, in the past, people tried to get off of jury. I mean, you know, you get. I don't know if you've ever been on a jury. I've been um, I've been called several times. I've been on one jury. And you know it's it's it can be a nuisance. You got to take time away from work or, or other plans or vacations, and you're in this whole different world that takes up a week of your of your life. And uh, so everybody always has been tried to get out of jury duty. When you get that summons, it's like that's what you do. You know somebody? How do I get out of this? That's the first question. Everybody tells you that you're doing your civic duty and they try to pump up the idea and appeal to your emotional uh, your emotional connection and your emotional uh, I, I, I would even say it perhaps you know to boost your your own I mean in, in the, today's narcissist society you know well, you could be, you know, you, you're important to elevate you. You know, you are doing your civic duty, and uh, it is this is a very important duty you're doing, and you're doing something for you, for your fellow citizen in your country. They want they try to really appeal to the emotional, uh, even though you might want to get out of this. Uh, they make you feel almost guilty, and they make you feel important for those couple three days. Oh, the jurors are ooh. Oh, the jury's coming in. Everybody stands up. I mean, you know, the jury, the jury. Oh, oh. So for people with a with a little, uh, you know, inferiority complex, my goodness, being on a jury, uh, not not too bad. And that's the difference in today's world. Now, people might not want to get on a, you know, car accident jury to decide who's right and wrong and who's going to pay for that you know dent or fender that's boring but in today's world ever since especially since the OJ trial which was a perfect storm a celebrity in California where everybody goes to be a star where everybody goes to to get attention to be an actor or an actress do you remember the people on that OJ jury? Do you remember wh- how that, that 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 entire trial became a, a television spectacle? That was history. I don't know if we were, realized that. That trial was historic for what it did to the legal system. You remember Judge Edo? He had all those clocks on his on his on his uh, on his desk on the bench. Because people were starting to send him clocks. I mean, everybody in that everybody you know, that 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 trial was was televised twenty four hours a day. It really helped establish the uh, the twenty four hour news networks. CNN and things like that have been around, but it wasn't until really in the in the early nineties there when OJ, where it really took hold. Everything the the after the OJ trial, 
the media completely changed. It's never been the same since the OJ trial. That was historic. <laughs> that was historic. And I don't know if we realized it because we were so consumed with was he guilty or not or what would the jury. But my gosh, you remember there was even a juror on the OJ trial who was a big Star Trek fan and she wore the Star Trek Next Generation uniform? You know, jurors have always been anonymous. In today's world, after that, if you're on a high-profile case, a lot of times people would never talk. If they were on a jury, they never spoke about it. But today, being on a jury is another extension of being on a reality show. And in today's world, everybody wants to be on a reality show, right? That's that's the goal of anybody, you know, 35 or under or 40 or under to be on a reality show. That's that's a you're either, a, you know, an internet influencer or you want to be on a reality show. That's that's a goal now. These jobs that people have are necessary evils. The real goal is to be an internet influencer or be on a reality show and get fame and fortune, mostly fame. You know, a lot of times don't get fortune, but you get fame. And we are, because of the, the nature of the internet and social media and all the media that surrounds us, everybody wants fame now. So the irony is, and what legal experts are saying, is that in New York, once again, media capital of the world, People will do anything. Believe me, if that, if that, and don't just believe me, but this is what the legal experts are saying. I'm, I'm just passing on what I'm hearing them say. Instead of people trying not to get on a jury trial, this Donald Trump trial could be historic and epic. <laughs> and so in today's everybody wants fame um, society, you know, the big thing is, okay, if you can't get off of jury duty, right, you don't know anybody that can get you off, right, you, you, so you have to show up. So to get off jury duty because you don't want to take the time and, and miss work or you don't want to do it, uh, everybody's trying to get, you know, so then the king is, okay, so now what will I, what, so now I get called into the jury room, you know, into the court, and they're going to, you know, decide on me whether I should be seated as a juror. Well, let me, what do I do? What do I say that makes me sound like I would not be a good juror? That's your that's you know that that's your your next option. Your first option is do you know anybody who can help you you know put you get you off of this by you know somebody in the in the in the in the jury judicial system that you know that can maybe take care of this for you. If you don't have that connection then your next thing is how do you sabotage yourself when you are questioned by the lawyers when you are called in to be considered as a juror? How do you say things that make you sound like you'd be a horrible juror that they don't want you? So your first one is the connections. If that if you don't have anything there, then you have to you have to you know plan B is how do what do I do to to, to sabotage even though you may you may have to sacrifice in public 
and embarrass yourself and sound like a bigot or or an ignoramus or anything that makes you somebody go, whoa, I don't want this person near uh, you know, my client one way or the other, whether you're the prosecution or the, or the defense. So for a few, you, I, I guess you have to take a little public humiliation on the short term to play the long game of then you won't get on a jury. But that's kind of, those are your two options. Either the connections, political connections or governmental connections you may have. If not, then you've got to uh, figure out a way to uh, sabotage your own uh, reputation in public. Is it worth it? (laughs) Do you have the courage to stand up to that kind of ridicule? Put yourself out there like you are a crazy person, even if it's for five minutes. That's not easy to do. You may think it is, and then when they ask you the question, you wind up realizing that, well, I don't want to sound stupid. I don't want to sound bigoted. I guess I'll just tell the truth, and then you could get picked for the jury. But in a case of a high-profile case, especially this Donald Trump, this will, this will if this goes to trial, this will be on a par of the O.J. Simpson trial and the fact that it, it, I mean, it does, it does, I mean, it doesn't involve murder. That, you know, I mean, O.J. Simpson, it had all the aspects. Not only was it a, was it a, a, a beloved sports figure in California, but it also was a horrific crime, the murder of two people. So you had celebrity, but you also had two real victims. Now, this case with Donald Trump doesn't really have any victims. This is a clerical felony. This is not a uh, a victim crime. Nobody, nobody be, was a victim here if what Donald Trump allegedly perpetrated uh, is true. There was no true victim here. Nobody was killed. Nobody was deprived. This was a... This is a clerical error, or not an error, but it's it, it's clerical. It's what 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 you know on a financial statement. Where was this hush money placed? So while it doesn't have the implications of the OJ trial in terms of the victims, murder, terrible, horrible, horrific murder, not just be people just not killed, but but slaughtered. But it does have another aspect that it's Donald Trump, easily the most controversial and polarizing figure in the country, if not the world. Putin might be a close second, certainly in this country. And then it's in New York, the media capital of the world. If you're on this jury, you will become at least for five minutes, which is the big goal today, a celebrity in some way. So the irony is that people in this situation, for the Donald Trump jury, instead of lying to get off the jury, what legal experts are fearing is that it'll be hard to get a, 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 a fair trial Because people will lie to get on the jury because of the 
potential fame and attention and social media attention that they can get from being on the jury. We already seen that. Remember about maybe, what, a month and a half or two months ago, there was a woman who was on the grand jury, which usually these are completely anonymous. You never know who's on a grand jury, but not in today's world. And there was this woman who, wow, I mean, if, these are the, if, this, if, if this woman is any indication of who voted to indict Donald Trump on that grand jury, then, wow, uh, you have to question how valid that indictment is. But this woman came on, clearly went on all the national shows, on her own volition, and was so incoherent, was so embarrassing, uh, but she clearly was soaking up her five minutes of fame. It was embarrassing and very difficult and sad to watch because this woman had no clue what she was doing, but she had a camera pointed at her. And she had someone asking her opinion. And in today's world, life doesn't get much better than that. Now, she was roundly criticized. And she never showed up again because she was just pummeled in the media, on social media, on television for her ranting and her unprofessionalism and her narcissism and her immaturity and everything else. And she she had her five minutes. I hope she enjoyed them because uh, it did not go well for her. But it doesn't matter. She At that moment, she was enjoying it. So people are, legal experts are wondering, can Donald Trump get a fair trial? Because people are going in today's society... In New York, media capital of the world, in an era now where we all believe that our opinion is is worthy to be heard by the world, by the masses. What I found interesting, somebody, I was talking about a topic here recently on the podcast, and I was talking about the way our society is today, and we're all worried about attention and clicks, and and somebody said, well, Jim, how, 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 how can you talk about how terrible it is when you've got a podcast and you're spouting your views and you're spouting your opinions? You're trying to bring attention to yourself. So how can you criticize others when you're out there? Why are you even doing a podcast then? Not a, it's not a it's not it's not an unfair question at all i would say first of all i'm not paid to do this uh and i'm not doing this uh you know i've been doing this for almost seven years now i, I haven't gotten any great fame from this podcast you know I, i'm not like joe rogan i'm not a i'm not a multi-millionaire i don't get any money for this I'm doing this because I'm a broadcaster. I enjoy 
communicating. I enjoy discussing topics with you. As I've said many times, I do this, uh, I view this as, as a conversation, as a dialogue. I don't really have any other ulterior motives. If I did, uh, if I really wanted to use this as some stepping stone and some, and some bully pulpit, and some re- revenue generating um, aspect, uh, I'd be going at it in a completely different way. And I'm not saying that I'm, I'm also wholesome here, but I started doing the podcast be- to, to because I was on the radio, and this was another avenue to do it to continue to talk to the people that enjoyed listening to me. And I continue to do it for that reason. So I'm not, uh, I'm, I, yeah, I mean, I, it's nice that people listen. I certainly hope there's, a, there, there's people liking it and, and listening on a regular basis. But I don't really have any ulterior motives for doing this. You know, I, uh, I, I, to be honest with you, I mean, today, I, I don't even really, you know, today, if you're a podcaster, you know that's like a that people use that as their title. Half the time, I don't even mention I have a podcast to anybody. I'm not out there promoting my podcast when I'm even on the radio with fifty thousand on a fifty thousand watt station on w, uh, WGN. I don't even mention. Oh, don't forget, I have I, I listen to my podcast. I'm not promoting it even there, where there be an audience to say, oh, you know, go go on WGN radio. I, I don't do that. So I'm not necessarily seeking the attention and the affirmation that I believe many people on TikTok and and Instagram and all those things are trying to do. I'm not putting myself on any higher ground here. I've always enjoyed talking to people. I've always enjoyed sharing information with people. And the podcast allows me to do that. And that's my motivation. Maybe I'm not as uh, ambitious as I should be with it. But I guess I look at it as more as an extension of who I am than some kind of a attention generating medium i know podcasts are very very popular with people and i'm ho- and i appreciate everybody who listens to this podcast um but i i believe that uh i i'm i'm doing it more to share my views and share my thoughts with you and and hopefully as much as we can, since it's not immediate and and live, and share your own views of what I've said. I have I'm I'm I, I I have every respect for the person who questioned me on that. I like that. As I say, I always 
would encourage people on my Facebook page to to question me and give me a hard time, and people have, and that's great. I love that. I love the the art of conversation. I love I love to discuss things. I like and I don't want, it's not an argument, but I like a good discussion. I love to I I can I have I have my own definite opinion, opinions, but I certainly love to hear other people's opinions and 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 if if you can turn me on to your if you can give me facts and convince me even better, then I've learned something. But uh, but back to the original point here. Um, so it will be interesting to see, can, in today's world, on a high-profile case, especially with a, with a, with a high-profile uh, defendant who's as polarizing as Donald Trump, can, in today's world, can we really assure there's going to be a fair trial? You know, Gwyneth Paltrow was just in a case. Now, it seemed like she was in the right. It did seem like the person who brought this case against her was just looking to take advantage of uh, her deep pockets, this, this skiing incident. But right off, but you know, a couple of days later, I did see online a juror explaining why Gwyneth Paltrow won the case. No, it's not. A, it's a, it was a skiing accident case. It doesn't have the same implications as an O.J. Simpson murder trial or the indictment, the first indictment of a of a president. But I'm sure people who were on that jury were very excited to go into the cl- the courtroom every day and see Gwyneth Paltrow, and they did everything they could to get on that jury. And so I'm sure that you are going to see. People fighting and doing the best they can to get on that Donald Trump jury, if there ever is one, because in many people's minds, this will be a springboard for their own fame and their own potential to become a an influencer or some some career that could possibly, you know come from this because of their uh, you know of their inclusion on the jury or at the very very least it will provide them with what most people today are all striving for that 5 minutes of attention and fame they may hate Donald Trump they may walk into that trial knowing that they're going to vote guilty before they here before they stand before the judge walks out the door for the from the first day in their minds they, they they may hate Donald Trump and they may vote uh you know for him you know and but they and they may vote against him they know whatever is said they it doesn't matter and vice versa someone may love Donald Trump and they know that they are going to vote to acquit him regardless of how the evidence shakes out so on both sides but I guarantee you, those same people that have a de- definitive uh, decision on Donald Trump because their love or hate for him supersedes any kind of fairness in that case. But when they are being interviewed by each side, because don't forget, each side gets a chance gets a chance to say yes and no 
They get a few challenges, but each side gets to vote yes or no on each juror. I guarantee you, instead of people finding a way to get off the jury, they are going to sound as reasonable and sane and unbiased and open-minded as possible. You are going to hear people sound almost heavenly and angelic because they are going to do everything they can do to hide their bias this time in order to sound like they would be a perfect juror who will sit there and listen and only consider the evidence and the facts presented in the courtroom and don't and they will not bring in any other outside biases or any uh, pre-existing thoughts about this person. Oh, no, I will be fair. Just the opposite of when the average person gets a summons to go to jury duty. They will try to sound as unreasonable, as biased, as bigoted, as unfair as they can so that the lawyers, at least one of them, will say unacceptable and they can go home and not have to miss work. But not in a high-profile trial. Not anymore. Not in today's world. And certainly not in the Donald Trump trial. So the next time you go to that mailbox and that letter, and you know the letter, if you've ever gotten a summons for jury duty, you know the size. It's not, it's not in a regular letter-sized envelope. It's in a square envelope. And that's the first thing you know about it. When you get that summons, the next time, if you've never gotten one, I've gotten quite a few because I'm a regular voter and I think they use the voting rolls. At least that's what they used to say. I'm not sure what they use. But I've been summoned many times. I have to go on down. As I said, I've been on one trial. Some, many times I've been a span, standby juror. Many times I've never even gotten called into the, um, into the room. But I've, got, I've had to show up. And, one, and the one time that I did go in, I did get chosen. And it was a, a traffic case. It wasn't of any big significance. But... Uh, the next time, if you get that jury summons, think about what is the first thing that pops into your mind. Is it going to be, oh, I have the opportunity to serve on a jury? Or will it be, oh, how do I get out of this? And so ends another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast. We are there. And don't forget to tell your friends, tell your family, tell anybody who listens to a podcast that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic, and it should be theirs too. Your loyalty and devotion are much appreciated. Hope you enjoyed episode number 359. I'm Jim Toronto. I ain't here on business. I'm only here for fun. You've been listening to Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic from the end of the web to your screen. <laughs>